Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry, and we are still in our undisclosed northern location that's echoey and clunky and squeaky, so we apologize for any background noise, but honestly, we don't care that much. Um, so, the title of this episode is To Tithe or Not to Tithe. Uh, we start, uh, we're starting a short series. Oh, shut up. I wrote these. You, you don't like them, you write them. <laughs> um, uh, we're starting a short series on money uh, that we hope will be of help to uh, all of our listeners. Uh, think about why they have money, the ability to make money, and how they ought to view their money and their possessions. Um, Money is not something that is an issue with wealthy churches or nations, but it's a universal issue with universal temptations and failings. The words of our Lord in Matthew 6 make it clear that we all ought to carefully consider our stance toward wealth and possessions. But our observations as we pastor and we travel even around the world is that most see the biblical warnings about money as applying to someone else. Uh, The prosperity culture is alive and well and it's actually killing the church. But that culture is also very subtle at times, and so it has the ability to slip unnoticed into homes and ministries through a series of small steps. Uh, We would say that it is good and wise for every Christian and every ministry to give pause on a regular basis to examine how they view their money and possessions. So that is partly why we want to do this mini-series, to give you some data and some biblical thinking on how to examine yourself. All right, so today we're going to discuss this topic of tithing. Uh, question is, is it for today? And what is it? Um, so we have no idea what your background is, but in many circles, uh, passages out of Haggai or Malachi are those popular passages to push for the idea of tithing. So you say Haggai? Um, yeah. <laughs> That's how I learned it in Awana. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Um, I I think I was taught Haggai too, but and it then, is a diphthong, so it's just Haggai. Yeah, and then yeah. my uh, professor, one of my professors, looked at me. and says, "It's Haggai." I'm like, "Yes, sir." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I still feel guilty if I pronounce it any other way. I feel like I'm getting that that glare from sure. you know that only a professor can do. To you. <laughs> yep. Uh, all right, so the Malachi 3, 8 through 10 passage, uh, it's that famous one that says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, How have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts." If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Uh, And then the Haggai 1, 2 through 9 passage says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have shown much, but harvest is sown much, but harvest is little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. 
Go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. So um, these sermons are built off these passages, right? right? Uh, And they're often used to push for for building funds or they're used to guilt people into giving more. Often there's a subtle or not so subtle push that if they would just give more, then God would open up the storehouses of heaven and give them more, pour out blessing. Right. Uh, in other words, often the teaching on tithing becomes a transactional issue. Uh, you give your tithe and then God will somehow now give you more. Uh, very formulaic, right? Yep. Um, that, in fact, that's overtly taught in the health, uh, wealth, prosperity circles. Uh, you give a seed faith offering and you can expect a large blessing in kind from God. Um, another common passage quoted is that Luke 638 passage, which says, give, and it will be given to you, uh, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, they will pour into your lap for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So what makes this a bit hard at times to teach Teton is that there is uh, a kernel of truth in that thinking. Um, that, that's always what makes it hard, yep. right? Um, so we'll often refuse to act on something that is actually good and right because we have now fear of loss or risk or something like that. But it's commanded or, but it is commanded or taught in the Bible for a Christian. And so we want God to first remove the risk or the fear, and then we'll act. Um, so with money, this often is something along the lines of I'm not giving or supporting this thing that I admit is a good and right thing. Um, until it won't actually cost me something. Yeah, we, we're, we're so risk adverse that we, we, we and the Lord just simply commands certain things about finances. I guess that's all we're going to be saying in all these episodes. And we keep putting up criteria before we'll actually obey it. And usually it's where God has to first pour out his blessing, then we'll give. Well, then there's no faith. Now there's no risk. Now there's no entrusting yourself to God or simply obeying by faith. Now it's, all right, it won't cost me anything, so sure, I'll give. And it's common, common in our thinking, but it's incredible how we can work that out in our brains. Yeah, well, we got to be the wise steward, right? And so that'll be our justification for not entering at all into some kind of what we view as risk. Yeah. Um, but if you have a good theology, actually, it's not risk. Not really. Not at all. Um, so, the, the, but the point here is that, that we want to make is that tithing, the idea of tithing is often taught as a transactional thing. Do this and then get that. But all of it assumes that tithing is something, first of all, for the Christian. Um, and so that is what we want to just simply consider here today. And so this is a short episode um, because it's just a simple issue to work through. Uh, but that's what we're going to do. All right. So let's get to it. So tithing is it for today. Now, the, the word tithe, if you didn't know this, simply means 10%. It's not a religious word, but merely a mathematical one. And the number 10 is interesting, is an interesting number in the Bible, and it's uh, actually seen as a number of completion. And so we see 10 plagues and 10 commandments and stuff like that. Often false gods were given honor by people 
uh, by giving 10%. And the sense in this, in giving 10%, you were giving everything you were. Uh, that's, that's kind of the idea behind that number. Uh, when you look for a tithe command prior to Israel, you, what's interesting is you don't find it. Simply put, the tithe was not commanded in any way that we know of. Um, however, Abraham actually practiced the tithe at least once when he met the king of Salem, Melchizedek. Uh, Abraham, Abraham had just rescued his nephew Lot, and in the battle he gained a large amount of booty. Uh, and along the way, he met Melchizedek. And so it says this in Genesis 14, 18 to 20. Now, Abram received a blessing from him, and in return, he willingly offered back to Melchizedek a tenth of what he had taken in battle. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, uh, brought out bread and wine. Now, he was a priest of God. So many questions about yeah. this. Yep. Uh, he was a priest of God most high, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram the God, of God, of the God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave them a tenth of all. Notice he didn't give a tenth of what he actually already owned, just from the booty. It also appears to be purely voluntary. It wasn't required by Melchizedek. But also it's interesting that a tenth is what he gave, which makes it appear that this was something practiced in the broader culture even back then. Regardless, this is the only time prior to Israel that you'll see the idea of tithing mentioned. Yeah. Um, then for Israel, tithing, it, it is something that was commanded under Moses. So from here on out, we'll see this concept taught and commanded in connection specifically to the nation. Uh, and it is important to keep that in mind. Um, and also there were several tithes, not just one tithe. So Leviticus 27, 30-33 says, Thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If therefore a man wishes to redeem part of this tithe, he shall add to it one-fifth of it. And for every tenth part of herd or flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth uh, one shall be holy to the Lord. He is not to be concerned whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. Or if he does exchange it, then both it and its substitutes shall become holy. It shall be redeemed. Shall not be redeemed. Not be redeemed. So this, this tithe here was known as the Lord's tithe or the Levite's tithe. Yeah, it's for them. Mm -hmm. um, Numbers 18, 21 through 24 says, uh, To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service, which they perform the service of the tent of meeting. The sons of Israel shall not come near the tent of meeting again, or they shall bear sin and die. Only the Levites shall perform the service of the tent of meeting and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And among the sons of Israel, they shall have no inheritance for the tithe of the sons of Israel, which they offer as an offering to the Lord. I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said concerning them, they shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. Um, so therefore, all of Israel was commanded to give to the Lord a tenth of everything that they had made. Um, and uh, this very tithe that is the tithe that Malachi is sharply rebuking the people of Israel for not doing there. Yeah, so they're actually robbing the Levites. Right who are, are utterly dependent upon yeah. that. And uh, therefore robbing God. Yes, yes. Um, 
that another passage, Deuteronomy 12, 6 and 7, he says, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, your votive offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. There also you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all your undertakings, which the Lord your God has blessed you. Now that, this tithe is a different one. It's known as the festival tithe. This tithe is sort of like a huge potluck. Uh, you bring your tithes to the temple and then everyone eats the tithe and the Levites also receive a portion of it. And if you had to travel a long distance, then uh, you're told that you could redeem your tithe for money and then buy the foods and wine there at the temple. And so this tithe was designed to promote actually unity and fellowship among the people, as well as, as, as oh boy, that's hard for me to say, as well as a sincere devotion to the Lord. Uh, so here is an important point, though. This tithe was 10% of the remaining 90%. So you've already given your 10%, and now... On top of that, you have to give this one after that Levite tithe. So in Deuteronomy 14, 28 and 29, he says, At the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year, and shall deposit it in your town. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien and the orphan and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. Now, this is also known as a poor tithe. If you will, this is the welfare program for the nation. Uh, it was designed to care for the needy in the land. Now, this is why uh, this is why it's so important to remember that the tithe system was something God enacted in the nation. Uh, there was a civic aspect to it. Even with the Levite tithe, there was only one temple and one religion, if you will, in the land. It was the official religion, and all Israel's uh, Israelites were expected to support it. All right. So if you, if you were to add up all of those ties, um, obviously you don't come out to 10%. Um, rather it's something in the range of 23 and a third percent. Uh, so if you're really into tithing, we expect an increase. Right. Um, so when you think about tithing in the old Testament, um, yeah, don't, don't think about it as 10%. It's, it's actually a lot more than that. What you have here is basically a taxation, uh, the government for Israel was something known as a theocracy, where God is king, essentially, and he's the one overseeing it. The governing officials there were the Levites, and the first tithe cared for them and, of course, the needs of the temple. Uh, the second tithe was to run the basic national religion, uh, and then the third tithe was to run what we could just see there as a welfare, some kind of welfare program. So on top of that... Um, there were also other requirements. Yep. Uh, so in Exodus 23, 10 through 11, they were required to plant nothing in their fields every seven years to give the land a rest. Um, therefore, what was that? Well, they were giving up an entire year's income. In Leviticus 19, 9 through 10, the farmer was required not to harvest the corners of the field, uh, nor could he glean, uh, which means to go over twice, um, or if stuff fell off of his cart or yep. his horse. Yeah. He had to leave it for people. Um, and the purpose there was to provide for the traveler or the poor person. Which Ruth is all about. Ex yes, exactly. Uh, Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 2 and verse 9 also states that they were to forgive all debts that were owed to them by other Israelites. Yeah, that's a year of Jubilee. 
Yep. So by the time you factor in all of those, you have at least 25%, one quarter of their income was taken <laughs> by God's commandments. And therefore, if you want to hold to the tithe, then we would just simply say, fine, then you have to brace the whole thing. Don't, don't be talking tithe unless you're going to really tithe. Um, if I was required to give a tithe and I had been giving only 10%, then according to the Old Testament passages, I've actually been stealing from God. However, the good news is that the Bible does not teach that the New Testament Christian is to be tithing. And we would say that this is because the, because the church is not Israel, something we keep pushing and people keep smiling and kind of looking at us like we're the small stepchild that doesn't know very much. But if, if the church is Israel, then that's one a whole different issue. But the church is not Israel. And so like many things in theology and practice, how a person views their relationship with the Old Testament and with Israel will color everything they do as a New Testament Christian. Actually, one of the most fascinating things about the idea of the church being the new Israel is how the Old Testament law is dealt with. And we'll have to do a podcast or two or 20 yeah, that uh, <laughs> on how those who hold to it, uh, hold that it is the new or the spiritual Israel, get around the many laws given to Israel. Because that's exactly what they have to do is, well, we're going to call this the civil law. The Bible never calls it right. the civil law, but we'll call it the civil or the ceremonial. And then we'll arbitrarily call that the moral law. But even that will rework. Uh, as And it's, it's fascinating, the gymnastics that you go through. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to, we will develop a New Testament perspective next on money and giving in the upcoming episodes. And so we're only going to close out this episode with a few more closing observations. All right. So one thing to note in the Old Testament, uh, the people of Israel were also to give what were called free will offerings uh, and something called first fruits, um, which were offerings. Uh, and with these offerings, no amount was stipulated. Uh, rather, they were to give freely and give as they desired. Um, the point of these offerings was not the amount. Rather, the focus there is on the attitude in which they were given. So this is on top of all that 25% yes, yeah. ish that we came out with before. Um, so they, they were, what, what was the purpose of these? Well, they're simply a way to, true, to, to worship the Lord. Um, they showed him honor by giving the first fruits of their harvest and therefore showing that they were trusting in the Lord to bring in the rest of the harvest. Uh, so Exodus 25, one through two uh, says it most beautifully. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. Um, the situation for this commandment was to gather the necessary things to build the tabernacle. God could have commanded a certain amount, but that was not his desire. Uh, rather, he wanted the people to give with a whole heart because they loved him and desired his tabernacle, um, which was the center of God's work and was therefore to be built. In Exodus 35, Moses tells them to give as they desire and the result was overwhelming. So Exodus 36, four through five, we read, uh, and all the skillful men who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came each from the work which he was performing. And they said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work, which the Lord commanded us pr to perform. So Moses told the people to stop. That's crazy. Yeah. It's like, stop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, boy, how many times have we had to just tell people stop? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyhow, 
uh, we're going to argue that this free will offering out of worship and love and thanksgiving is actually something that the New Testament church is expected to participate in. The tithe is not for the church because the tithe, or, or the rather the church is not a theocracy and it never will be. But if a church wants to teach tithing, all we would say is they ought to teach it properly and put the full weight of the Old Testament teaching on themselves and their people. And so we hope to pick this up next time, Lord willing. We're asking to make sure to tune in, join the conversation. Let us know your thoughts on the whole issue of tithing. Don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review on iTunes. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and tell a friend.